As I was on my way over here uh, this morning, I was just thinking, uh, you know, what are the great trials of history? You know, the most famous trials in history, and some might point to Socrates of 399 B.C., the famous philosopher, or maybe Joan of Arc back in 1431. Uh, there might be some who would point to the, the Diet of Worms. That's the trial of Martin Luther in 1521, and others... Uh, they think of the Salem witch trials that took place maybe around 1692. Uh, for us here in America, I think we might point to the Scopes trials of 1925 that opened the door to evolution, a tragedy really, in our educational system. And then there's 1973, Roe versus Wade, in which uh, life was struck down, in which our country legalized the murder of innocent children. And so, you know, a lot of, a lot of trials, uh, some of you here probably think of Rodney King or maybe O.J. Simpson. I don't know, you know, what's uh, heavy on your heart. But of course, uh, I think, and as I was looking, I was kind of blessed to see that on the top of the list of, of all the trials that are, that are most important, the number one trial was the trial of, of Jesus Christ, the case of Christ. And uh, that's what we're going to be looking at today in Mark chapter 15. Uh, if you remember, last week we saw that Jesus had already been through three trials, uh, the religious trial, or maybe we can call it the Jewish trial. If you remember, he went to Annas, and then Caiaphas, and then the Sanhedrin. There were three of them. But they just beat him up and pretty much kept him up all night. There was no justice in their system, and so they sentenced him to death. But they had a problem that was under Roman rule, the Jews did not have the right to execute the death sentence. And so, something you might want to refer to later, Matthew 27 and verse 1, it tells us that when morning came, all the chief priests and elders of the people plotted against Jesus to put him to death. And so they had already gone through the three Jewish trials, but they woke up the next morning and they said, well, we got to come up with a plan how are we going to bring him to this place of execution? How can we convince the Roman authorities that Jesus should be put to death? And so now we move from the three uh, Jewish trials to the three Roman trials. We move now to the three civil trials. And there will be three of them. Jesus will go to Pontius Pilate and then to Herod and then back to Pontius Pilate. And, and once again, uh, we're going to see that there's no justice in their system, but Jesus doesn't really argue, he doesn't defend himself, he doesn't fight for his rights. If anything, what he does is he lays down those rights in his fight for us. You know, as I was going through this, and again, it's hard to really like come up with an outline or something, I was thinking, Lord, what are you trying to teach us in this? As we look at the Lord and as he goes through these trials and we see the whole drama unfold, Lord, what, what are you trying to communicate to us and teach us? And, and one thing underneath it is that he's innocent. He's absolutely innocent. Pilate over and over again tries to release him, but, but he doesn't. He's blameless. He finds no fault in him. And so in looking at this, I hope that you do see he's innocent and we're guilty. We're guilty. We're the ones that put him on the cross. 
Remember we talked about that last week, that you'll really, really never really understand the cross for you unless you understand the cross by you. That when Jesus was murdered, we did it. We nailed him to the cross. So he's innocent. We're, we're guilty. Uh, that's one of the things that we're going to see so clearly. Another thing that I think that we see so clearly is his love. In that, you know, God would come and die for us. You know, it's one thing for someone to say that they love you, but it's quite another thing for someone to prove it by the life that they live. And how about by the death that they die? And that's what Jesus ends up doing for us. And in looking at this, I pray you would see Romans 5.8. The Bible says, but, but God demonstrates his own love toward us and that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. And so, you know, those are some of the things we're going to come away with. Uh, he's innocent. We're guilty. He loves us even though we hated him. And then the third thing we're going to see, and, I, and this is kind of an underlying message, but, you know, you've got to make a decision. You know, you've got you to gotta make a decision. Who is Jesus? I mean, you know, is he a typical teacher? Is he a random rabbi? Is he a passing prophet? Is he a mere man? Or is he who he claimed to be, the Christ? And that word, it means anointed one, anointed prophet, priest, and king. Is he really the king of your life? You know, not just a political king, not just a physical king, but a spiritual king. Does he really rule over your life? Or are you calling the shots? You know, as we look at this, we're going to see that Jesus here teaches us these things. And so look at verse 1, Mark 15. It says, Immediately in the morning, the chief priests, held a consultation with the elders and scribes and the whole council, and they bound Jesus, led him away, and delivered him to Pilate. Then Pilate asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? He answered and said to him, It is as you say. And the chief priests accused him of many things, but he answered nothing. And then Pilate asked him again, saying, Do you answer nothing? See how many things they testify against you? But Jesus still answered nothing so that Pilate marveled. And so we read in, in verse 1 that it's early in the morning. And so how many of you here like waking up early in the morning? Just out of curiosity. Some of you here, actually the first service people, you guys are, are pretty cool as far as that goes, Right. You know, most people don't. Uh, others will wake up early in the morning only if they're eager to do something, maybe go skiing or whatever. They have something planned for the day. These guys are eager to wake up early to kill him. It's early in the morning. They want to get it done early. They're eager. Maybe part of them wants to hide it from some of the multitudes that are out there. They just know what they're doing is so wrong. You know, but it's early in the morning. Oh, here we read all the priests. Think about that, the chief priests. I mean, these are the, the elders, the older guys are there as well. These are the judges at the gates, the scribes. They were the experts in the law. You know, think about this group of guys. It's quite a group. And, and what do they do? The Bible says that they bind Jesus and they deliver him to Pontius Pilate, who was the governor of Judea from AD 26 to 36. And so they take him to him because he's the one that is going to make the decision of whether or not Jesus will live 
or die. If you look at Luke 23, verse 2, it says that the charges that they brought against Jesus were basically charges of treason on three accounts. Uh, Number one, it says in Luke 23, verse 2, they began to accuse him, saying, we found this fellow perverting the nation. Secondly, forbidding to pay taxes to Caesar. And thirdly, saying that he himself is Christ, a king. And so they can't, execute him in the Roman world based on blasphemy. So they come with the charge of treason, saying that Jesus is not good for the nation, that Jesus is saying you can't pay taxes, and Jesus is saying that he is king. And so in Pilate's eyes, the first two counts have no merit, but he is concerned with the third. And that's why he asks him there in verse 2, are you the king? Are you the king of the Jews? You know, is this man trying to overthrow the the Roman rule? And as we've seen in looking at his trials, Jesus didn't talk a ton, but he did talk truth. And so he asked him, are you the king? And he said, it is as you say. Jesus said, I am the king. You know, it wasn't as they were saying. It wasn't as the, the religious leaders and the scribes and the chief priests were saying It wasn't really the Roman realm that he was wanting to overthrow. It wasn't a physical kingdom, not now anyways, that Jesus Christ was claiming. Um, The Lord explained this over in John 18 in verse 36. Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. My kingdom, if my kingdom were of the world, my servants would fight so that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now, that's an important word, he said now, My kingdom is not from here. And so, you know, are you king? Yeah, I am, but don't worry. I'm not trying to overthrow the Roman rule. It's a different kingdom. It's a a deeper kingdom. It's a spiritual kingdom, and it's not quite yet. You see, Jesus was not deserving of death. For him, it wasn't time to overthrow Tiberius, you know? I mean, if you read John chapter 6, you'll see that, remember, you guys remember how Jesus fed uh, 5,000 men plus women and children? Okay, so most churches, when you go to church, unfortunately, there's more women than men, right? Look around, unfortunately. Some of the guys are, you know, watching sports right now, right? Maybe they were up late last night partying and they got a hangover. A lot of times it's like that. And so probably the same thing with Jesus, Right? And so 5,000 men plus women plus children, how many people do you think were there? I mean, there could have been 15, 20,000 people, and Jesus fed them all. The best fish tacos ever, yeah, right? <laughs> I mean, imagine that. You know, last night we went to dinner over some friend's house, and I'll tell you guys about this restaurant. You'll get a good hookup. But for now, man, I was just thinking, wow, the food was so good, you know, and you're you know, you want to go there, obviously. And so, you know, Jesus fed them. He loved them. He taught them. They saw everything about a leader that they would ever want in the Lord. I mean, so in John chapter 6, it says that they wanted to make him king. I mean, it literally says that in John 6, verse 15. Therefore, when Jesus perceived that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, he departed again to the mountain by himself alone. And you guys know what he did, right? He went 
and he prayed, right? I mean, just so that you know he's innocent and we're guilty, just so that you know that, he wasn't trying to overthrow Rome. He wasn't trying to be king, that kind of king, and not now. I mean, when he had the opportunity to do it, he said no, right? He went and he prayed. And so that wasn't his agenda. It wasn't physical. It wasn't political. But I will tell you this. It was spiritual. It was. Pilate said, are you king? Jesus said, I am. I am. It is as you say. You know, for us here living in the United States of America, we don't really know the whole thing about being king. I mean, we have a democracy. We have a republic. We have a president. We have the balance of powers. I mean, you know, for us, it's a lot different. We don't understand what it is to live under a king. But I think if you, you dig a little, you know, deeper, you'll, you'll see that, it, man, it, it's, it's pretty different. It's the, that he tells us what to do, what to, you know, for our Lord, what to think, what to say, how to live. And that's what the Lord had come, not just because he wanted to whip you into shape. Believe you me, that's not how God is. It's because he wants to lead you to a life of abundance. He wants to lead you to the promised land. This king loves you. He loves you. And so you're wondering, well, how do I win in life? Lord, what do I do? And he just says, well, let me lead you. Follow me. Yeah, but Lord, I want to do this. I want to go, you know, get high. I want to get mad. I want to get drunk. I want to get even. I mean, we all have our sinful tendencies, amen? Or am I the only one, <laughs> right? But your king tells you to do things different. See, that's what being a Christian is. First, you acknowledge him as, as your Lord and Savior, and then you follow him. That's what he's trying to teach at this point. You know, is he the Lord of, of your life or not? I'm sure you guys have heard that saying, either Jesus is Lord of all or he's not Lord at all. I mean, does he really have that place of majesty, loyalty, royalty in your heart? You know, Luke, Jesus said in Luke 17, verse 21, he said this, something interesting. He said, for indeed, the kingdom of God is within you. That, that in your life, on your heart, if I could take a spiritual you know, MRI or CAT scan or X-ray, if I were to look at your heart, you would see a throne there. And, and if, you're, if you're living according to the scriptures, Jesus would be living on your throne. You know, when we're looking at this whole thing, he's innocent, we're guilty, he loves us, we hated him. But we got to make the decision of who he really is. And we're going to learn this through like the life of Pilate and some of the others. You know, it's just so important. Pilate tried to get out of the decision. You know, um, we're going to see four ways. Number one, he tried to get out through sending. Through sending. Number two, he tried to get out through swapping. Swapping. Number three, he tried to get out through scourging. Scourging. And then number four, he tried to get out through symbolism in which he washed his hands, thinking that, you know, he wouldn't be responsible if he kind of did this little symbolic act. If you go to Luke 23, we see the first point. And so let's go there together. 
In Luke 23, it says in verse 5, but they were the more fierce, saying he stirs up the people, and this is the whole trial teaching throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee to this place. And so when Pilate heard of Galilee, he asked if the man were a Galilean. And as soon as he knew that he belonged to Herod's jurisdiction, he sent him to Herod, who was also in Jerusalem at that time. Now, these guys, again, Pilate is the governor of Judea. Herod is the governor of Galilee. You know, he hears that Jesus is from Galilee, and so he sends him over there. He's thinking that he can get out of the decision, right? And so, in verse 7, he talks about him sending him to Herod's jurisdiction, and they would be in Jerusalem at this time because during the feasts, uh, they would come and they would want to make sure that there was order. And so verse 8 says, Now when Herod saw Jesus, he was exceedingly glad, for he had desired for a long time to see him because he had heard many things about him and he hoped to see some miracle done by him. And then he questioned him with many words, but he answered him nothing. Remember we talked about this last week, about how the Lord didn't say a lot uh, the, as a matter of fact, Isaiah it prophesied that he was led as a lamb uh, before its shearers is silent. He opened not his mouth, especially to Herod, man, because Herod, he wasn't really interested in the truth. All he wanted to see was Jesus perform, right? Some type of miracle. So the Lord, think about it, he didn't say anything to him. In verse 10, the chief priests and the scribes, they stood and vehemently accused him and then Herod, with his men of war, treated him with contempt, mocked him, arrayed him in a gorgeous robe. And what did he do? He sent him back to Pontius Pilate. You know, and, and, and all I'm saying, you guys, and for us, I think it's important to know that you can't get out of the decision. You know, you have to make that decision. You're like, well, no, maybe I can send him away. Maybe I can... It's kind of funny. I'll share this with you guys. I thought about how an ostrich sticks his head in the sand. You guys ever seen that picture? And do you guys know why it sticks its head in the sand? Um, you know, they say it's just a you know, nest for its eggs, and they turn the egg around. And, and we, we have that, that symbolism as far as like how some people think that they can just like hide themselves from the decision that they have to make. Oh, here, I'll send him away to Herod, and then, you know, I won't have to really decide as far as who Jesus really is. And what is, the, you know, ends up happening? It comes right back to him, right? That doesn't work. He tries sending. And then back in the book of Mark, he tries swapping. Look at Mark chapter 15 in, in verse 6. Now, at the feast, he was accustomed to releasing one prisoner to them, whomever they requested. And there was one named Barabbas who was chained with his fellow rebels. They had committed, think about this, murder in the rebellion. And then the multitude crying aloud began to ask him to do just as he had always done for them. But Pilate answered them saying, do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? For he knew that the chief priests had handed him over because of envy. But the chief priest stirred up the crowd so that he should rather release Barabbas to them. Pilate answered and said to them, Again, what then do you want me to do with him whom you call the king of the Jews? And so they cried out again, Crucify him. Then Pilate said, Why? What evil has he done? 
But they cried out all the more, crucify him. You see, Pilate tried to get out of the decision, number one, by sending him away. It didn't, didn't work. Number two, he thought, well, I know what I'll do. I'll, I'll swap him with a prisoner. You know, and instead of granting Jesus acquittal, which he should have done, Pilate chose to grant the customary Passover amnesty, thinking the people would request Jesus' release. So imagine, you guys, think about it. You have the option of a murderer, and Jesus. You know, one is a rebellious, clear-cut criminal, a murderer, a taker of life, and the other is the Lord, the giver of life. And so Pilate is thinking, man, there's no way that we're going to fail on this one. They will definitely choose Jesus to, you know, free him, right? And what do they do? They end up getting stirred up by the chief priests. Notice it says that you know, um, as you go through this whole section right here, it says in verse 9, the multitude crying aloud began to ask for him to do just as he had always done for them. And Pilate said, hey, do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? Because he knew that the chief priest had handed him over because of envy, but the chief priest did what? They stirred up the crowd so that he should rather release Barabbas to them. You know, here's, here's the thing, okay? I know that, that we have this life to live, and you guys uh, are in school, and you're working. Some of you are retired. We don't know how much time we have left. You know, we're going through trials. You know, we're going through things in life. You know, the key to life is, is what do you think about Christ? What do you believe about him? Who is he really to you? You know, and, and there's different ways that you can deal with it. You know, in one sense, I think about when he sends him to Herod, to me, I'm thinking, okay, he's going to make a decision based on what some other man says about Jesus. And there are some people like that, you know, maybe you have a, a parent or maybe there's a, you know, a philosopher or a professor at school or a friend and in one sense, they end up being the influence as far as who you end up deciding who Jesus is, right? There's those that are like that. They get influenced by a man, and others get influenced by the crowd. Well, the consensus is, you know, the world that we live in, they don't really believe, they don't think, they're not convinced that Jesus is Christ, huh? the Lord of all. You know, but, but one of the things that you got to understand is that, have you guys known this because of the fact that we are fallen creatures, the majority of the time, the majority is wrong? Have you guys discovered that? Look at our nation today. At one time, we were a Christian nation founded on Judeo-Christian principles. But look at what's going on now. I mean, God's given us a, a chance of revival, but man, when we see the consensus of the crowd and the majority opinion, you know, it doesn't look good. But here's the thing, okay? When Jesus was there in Caesarea Philippi, he looked to the, he looked to the guys. He says, well, who do men say that I am? And they said, well, some say you're Jeremiah. Some say you're one of the prophets. Uh, some say you're John the Baptist. You know, there's a, there's a view of all the people out there, Right? But then the Lord made it personal, right? He said, but who do you say that I am? 
And I think that that's kind of one of the things that's underneath all this trial right here. You know, it, it comes down to the decision of Pilate, but, you know, that's him. It actually comes down to, to your decision as well. And, I, and I'm sharing this with you, and I know most of you here are Christians, and if you're not, I do pray that today you would make that decision as you look at the case for Christ to understand that he is the king, right? That he claimed to be. But I wonder sometimes even in the church, if we're really living our life in light of that truth, that if he really is calling the shots, that if he really is sitting on the throne, have we truly made that, that decision in the kingdom of God that's within me, you see? And so it doesn't matter what Herod says. It doesn't matter what the crowds say. It doesn't matter if the chief priests are stirring people up in the wrong direction. Pilate, I mean, you're talking to him. You're examining the evidence. Who do you say that he is? You know, in looking at this right here, he tried to get out of the decision through sending him, uh, through swapping him. It's interesting what we read right here in verse 10, that he knew that the chief priest had handed him over because of envy. And you guys know what envy is? I mean, it's not just jealousy. Jealousy is like, hey, you know, I, I want what they have. Or envy is like, I don't want them to have anything good. You know, and that's the way that the religious leaders were towards the Lord. They saw the good that he was doing. They saw the crowds that were following him. And they were envious of that. We're going to see later in the book of Acts, that's the same way they are towards the disciples. You know, they get envious because of the crowds that are following those who are sent by the Lord. And so we have to really guard our hearts against envy because at the end of the day, from a human perspective, that was why they killed Christ. You know, the Bible says in the book of Proverbs 14, verse 30, that a sound heart is life to the body, but envy is rottenness. To the bones. Don't you hate it when your neighbor gets a really nice car? <laughs> I'm just joking. <laughs> you know, it's funny how we are, man. Be so careful. We should be people who want our neighbors to get blessed. Wow, praise God. Look at what happened to them. They got the promotion or, you know, the whatever. They got the, the nice house or car or God's blessing their life. And be so careful with that sin of envy. And be so careful that you don't put the decision off, you know? I mean, we have to really make that decision. It's life-changing who Jesus is. Have you guys ever heard that saying that we make our decisions and our decisions make us? I mean, and it happens in so many ways. I remember recently talking to a young guy and uh, there was, a, a, you know, coming to the Lord and just seeing the great work that God was doing in his life. And then all of a sudden, he gets a phone call from his old girlfriend. And so there's, there's, now there's a test. Are you going to continue to follow the Lord? Or will you be swayed away with the girl? You know, thank God that he chose to crown Christ as his king. And as a result of that, he made the right decision. And every once in a while, I'll be honest with you, my wife, man, she'll push a couple of buttons. It's not her fault, it's mine. Because I shouldn't have any buttons, huh? Do any of you guys ever get, like, tempted to get mad? <laughs> your kids or your wife or your 
dog or something, you know. And, you know, and your body's telling you to do this, you know. The world's telling you to do that, but God's telling you to do this. And so at the end of the day, it really comes down to who's king. I mean, is it Christ or is it someone else? I mean, everything about life. I mean, when I came in today, there were some people who don't know how to drive. <laughs> you know, and you want to get mad. Or I'll be honest with you, coming to church, okay, I love you guys, but man, you, sometimes people are, are, are not nice. And, you know, I say, hey, how you doing? And then they just walk right by. I'm like, what happened? I mean, you don't like me anymore? Or... You know, and just different things. And so part of you, you know, just all I'm just saying is that our flesh, we live in fallen bodies and in this fallen world and we're fighting fallen angels and we have the inclination to do the wrong thing and your life will get messed up if you do. But then there's the king, there's Jesus. And he says, hey, can I be the king of your life? Can you stay pure until you get married? As a husband, they say 40% of men will fall into an affair. I mean, as a husband, will you stay pure? I mean, you know, you go down the 60 freeway and there's a big billboard there with some girl and the enemy's not even like, you know, subtle anymore. Have you noticed that? It says sin. <laughs> and so when we're driving down, the, my wife actually doesn't even like me driving down the 60 freeway. She's like, what are you on the 60 freeway? Because she's tracking me, right? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I said, I'm not looking, I'm not looking. No, seriously, I try not to go there, but every once in a while, you know, we'll be there. And I mean, you know, seriously, do you look? Do you look or not? Because if you look, you're feeding your flesh. If Christ is sitting on the throne, then you don't. You know, your eyes will bounce if you do see something. It, it just permeates every area of our life. And again, one day Jesus will reign as king, and I just can't wait because, man, I'm fed up with a lot of the things I see in the world today. The government, the things that are going on in this world. You know, but, man, when I, when I, when I think, okay, it's not yet, it's now, there's a spiritual kingdom. Is he really sitting on the throne? You know, when he asks you to get up, mijo, get up and pray. Do you? When, when he asks you to read your Bible instead of watching television, do you? You know, when he tells you to, you know, take your wife out on a date, does he tell you to do stuff like that, guys? Married? You do. You're supposed to anyways. Or when he tells her, you know, to make you some good enchiladas or something. You know what I'm saying? I mean, you know, 1 Peter 3, it talks about wives... Uh, being gentle and loving and submissive to their husbands, so that even if they don't know the Lord, that you'll win them to the Lord. Well, I don't want to do that. Then he's not king. You know, husbands, loving your wife as Christ of the church. Yeah, but Lord, you don't know her. Yes, I do. <laughs> love her anyways. Watch what happens. Watch how your love changes. Watch how when you live your life according to my word and not your will, Watch how everything changes. You know, Pilate here, he's, he's just, I don't know if he's king. I mean, 
You know, let me see what Herod says. Well, let's hear what the crowds say. I want to gratify them. Even the crowds are swayed by what the chief priests say. No, not what they say. When you look at him, who is he? When you look at him, who do you say that he is? Pilate tried to get out of it, but he couldn't. And we can't get out of it either. He tried by, by sending him and, and through sending or, or through swapping. He actually even tried through scourging. If you go over to John chapter 18, let's go there real quick. In John chapter 18, in, in verse 40, then they all cried again, saying, not this man, but Barabbas. Now Barabbas was a robber. He was also a murderer. And so when that didn't work, we read in John 19, verse 1, so then Pilate took Jesus and scourged him. And the soldiers, they twisted a crown of thorns and put it on his head, and they put on him a purple robe, and they said, Hail, King of the Jews. And they struck him with their hands, Pilate then went out again and said to them, Behold, I am bringing him out to you so that you may know that I find no fault in him. And then Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe, and Pilate said to them, Behold the man. And what's Pilate trying to do here? He's still trying to get out of it through sending, through swapping, through scourging. And he says, I know what I'll do. It is, what I'll do is that I'll just, you know, Man, have him scourged. Pilate thought he could escape the responsibility of making this decision by, by doing this. He mistakenly thought that their rage would die down and that their sympathy would be stirred up. You guys know a little bit about scourging. I'm sure you, you do. If you've seen the Passion of the Christ, that was nothing compared to what it really was like. You know, scourging consisted of the Roman whip, sometimes called the cat of nine tails, Think about that, nine leather strands that had pieces of bone and metal studded within the strands. And the victim was stripped and then tied to a post and scourged repeatedly by several guards. You know, the Jews at least had a limit. For those of you who know the law, they said you can't give them more than 40 lashes. The Romans did not have that limit. Many men died through the scourging alone. See, he was innocent. We're guilty. He, he loved us, even though we hated him. And then as we're trying to make the decision, Pilate here is trying to wiggle his way out. You know, I'm just going to live my life. A lot of you here, you might just be living your life. You know, you get up in the morning, you make a Pop-Tart. You grab the newspaper, turn on the news or whatever, you go to work, you put in your eight hours, you get back, the commute home, you know, maybe watch a baseball game, you have dinner, you go to sleep, you do it again for six days, the seventh day you go to church. And you have not really crowned him king. Because when Jesus is king, he rules over every area of your life. You can't get out of it. Either he is or he's not. Pilate proves that to us. 
You know, oh, I'll send him, I'll swap him, I'll scourge him. And once, you know, when they see him all this bloody mess, the Bible says that he was marred more than any man. You couldn't even tell he was a human being. He was a piece of meat. And when they see him, surely the sympathy will stir up and the rage will die down. But what did they do when they saw him there? They were only more upset in verse 6 of John 19. Therefore, when the chief priests and officers saw him, they cried out, saying, Crucify him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, You take him and crucify him, for I find no fault in him. You guys, uh, one day we'll stand before God and we'll give an account. I mean, if you're not a Christian, I pray that you would become a Christian today. Give your life to him. Give your heart to him. Follow him. You know, you're a sinner separated by your sins, but he died for those sins. When he was nailed to a cross, they put him in a grave. Three days later, he rose again to prove who he was. And all you have to do is place your faith in him and you'll be saved. You've got to make a decision. You can't wiggle your way out of it. Remember W.C. Fields, that famous saying by him? One day they found him reading the Bible and they said, hey, I didn't know you were a Christian. He said, I'm not. I'm just looking for loopholes. Some people are like that. They think they can kind of wiggle their way out of it. Either he's Lord of all or he's not Lord at all. See, Pilate tried getting out through sending, through swapping, through scourging. And, and one last thing, if you go to Matthew 27. In Matthew chapter 27. It says in verse 24, when, when Pilate saw that he could not prevail at all, but rather that a tumult was rising, he took water and washed his hands before the multitude, saying, I am innocent of the blood of this just person. You see to it. And so just think, he thought that if, oh, I just wash my hands. It's like, you know, this big, you know, symbol in front of everybody, in front of God. Oh, yeah, I washed my hands. Sorry, dude. It doesn't work that way. You know, later on, when uh, the church started forming their creeds, uh, they had the Apostles' Creed, and it was okay. And it said this, that, that he was crucified under Pontius Pilate. Washing his hands, the symbolism of such an act, it did not take away the responsibility that he had in the decision that he made. He was crucified under Pontius Pilate. I mean, some people in closing today, they think that I can get out of it because of influential men, you know, maybe a Herod or maybe the high priest. This is my way out. Or they think that maybe it's the crowd. You know, since the consensus says, I'm sure God will understand. And then others think that they can get out like this last thing we read right here with him washing your hands. Is that your way out? We can do what we want with our hands. Here's the thing. At the end of the day, it's the condition of our heart, right? It really is. I mean, he knew that he was innocent. I find no fault in him over and over again. Okay, then, if you find no fault in him, and, you know, it's kind of fascinating when you really study out how it all went down and, and Pilate 
uh, what I ended up, you know, doing, and, and just think, you know, for a second, okay? I, I know you're thinking at breakfast, but just come back over here for a second, okay? Just want to think about this. Talking to Jesus. Imagine you're talking to Jesus Christ in the process of redeeming the world in the middle of love's greatest act. You're that close to him. You're talking to him. You, you know he's innocent. And, and the wife even says, hey, don't have anything to do. Don't condemn him. He's a just man. I had a dream about him. You know, the Jews said, hey, he ought to die because he said he's a son of God. Then that struck a chord in Pilate, and he went to him. He said, who are you? I mean, in his heart, he knew who Christ was. But he didn't make that decision. You want to know why at the end of the day, when you study the, the rule of Pontius Pilate, he wasn't a very good governor uh, he had offended the Jews multiple times, and there were, there were you know, already uh, warnings sent out from the emperor for him because he wasn't able to really uh, bring peace in the, in, the, in the realm. I mean, for a governor of those days, there were two things that the Romans were required. Number one, revenue. Make sure you give us our taxes. And number two, peace. Make sure there's no drama, you know, no uprising, no tumults, because if not, then you're going to be in big trouble, buddy. And so Pilate, wanting to you know, gratify the crowds and wanting to secure his own position, he condemned an innocent man. He condemned Christ to die. And, and maybe in closing, that's just one good place to end with because, yeah, making a decision to follow Jesus Christ it will cost you everything. You mean to tell me I don't get to sleep with my girlfriend and be a Christian? No. The Bible says that, that no fornicator will go to heaven. I mean, tell me I can't party and get high and be a Christian? No, no drunkard, no sorcerer will go to heaven. You mean to tell me I can't lie? No, no liar. I mean... I remember Alan Redpath, he said, it, it really is, thy kingdom come, my kingdom go. See, I, here's the thing, and not to freak you out, but you guys know that Jesus said on that day, many will come to me and say, Lord, Lord, didn't we do all these things in your name? And Jesus is going to say, Depart from me because I never really knew you. We didn't have a relationship because he said, you call me Lord, but you don't do the things that I ask you to do. And so as we come today, let's check our hearts and let's make sure, number one, we know the Lord. And then number two, that we're really living according to his word. Because I think at the end of the day, that's how it all ends up. We have to make that decision. Who is he? You know, is he the Christ? Jesus had said, Matthew 16, he came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, and he asked his disciples, saying, well, who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And so they said, some say John the Baptist, some Elijah, and others Jeremiah, one of the prophets. And he said, okay, but who do you say that I am? 
And Simon Peter answered and said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And you guys know Christ, it's the Messiah, it means anointed one, anointed prophet, priest, and king. And so in closing, here's the question, have you really crowned him as the king of your life, spiritually speaking, right? And and if you have, man, you're going to get blessed. I'll tell you what, um, how many of you want to be happy? You're like, ah, I don't know, is that a trick question? <laughs> it's okay to be happy. I mean, God wants us to smile. I know we're going to go through trials, but, you know, I, I believe that, that you're going to be blessed if you live your life according to the will of God, you know? But you have to make sure that you do things his way. A long time ago, we used to sing this song. Uh, it's from 2001. It's called, Lord, Reign in Me. And I want to close today's service just with the lyrics to that song just in the beginning. And then later on, maybe you can look it up and download it. But it's a great song. It's actually a great prayer. You know, because I'm the same place where you guys are. You know, we're all on this journey together. God is continuing to mold us and shape us into his image. You know, we're growing, we're maturing. And that has to be our prayer. Lord, be king. Be king in my heart. Lord, reign in me. That's what the song says. It says, over all the earth, you reign on high. Every mountain stream, every sunset sky. But my one request, Lord, my only aim is that you'd reign in me again. Lord, reign in me, reign in your power over all my dreams in my darkest hour. You are the Lord of all I am, so won't you reign in me again.